Welcome back to another episode of Product Love, hosted by Eric Bodick, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Pendo, a product experience platform. Every day we use different kinds of products to help us go about our lives. Behind each product is a product manager who has carefully built something they hope their users love. This is Product Love, the podcast where we interview product managers and explore the craft of product management. Welcome lovers of product. If you love listening to this podcast, you might be interested to know that some of our previous guests will be headlining the Product Craft Conference. So the Product Craft Conference is in San Francisco. It's coming up. It's on February 25th, and tickets are on sale now. You can get them at productcraft.com slash conference. Well, welcome lovers of product. Today, I am here with Gerard, who's the VP of Product Design at WorkHuman. Gerard, why don't you kick this off by giving us a little bit of an overview of your background? Yeah, Eric, thanks for inviting me to the podcast today. It's a pleasure. Um, I suppose my background really, uh, um, it spans back about 15 plus years in technology. I have a development sort of background, if you like. So it's not a stereotypical kind of product design background. So I done sort of software engineering in, in college and then progressed and moved into um, IBM where I had a role there for a while. And then as I sort of progressed and moved forward, um, I, I got a job kind of working, really designing electronic point of sale systems. So when you think about hospitality software and you think about how people interact with sort of till systems and things like that, that was my first real kind of background starting to deal with how people interact with devices. And then from that, I moved into um, some digital agencies. Um, I worked for companies doing work like for Xbox, for their applications. So I've done some um, stuff with smart TV applications as well, along the road of um, doing music video content. And then I suppose I've been working for WorkHuman the last seven years. So I joined WorkHuman seven years ago. Currently, we, we have a team of 21 designers. And really what we do is to try and make the workplace more a more positive environment. So the software and the applications that we build is really about bringing humanity to the workplace through employer recognition and cultivating that positive culture. Awesome. Awesome. So Gerard, you know, you talked about some interesting things there. Talk, what, were, what were your favorite experiences, if you have any? I mean, a pretty diverse background of sets, working on music videos, working on Xbox, on the gaming side. You know, now at Superhuman, who sells you know, software to the enterprise, you know, what activities do you enjoy the best? It's difficult to say, like you said, it is quite diverse, whether I'm working on an Xbox app application or whether I'm working on like smart TV apps or EPOS electronic point of sale systems. I think for me, probably the most rewarding has been moving into the sort of leadership role specifically at WorkHuman, mainly because, I mean, when, when I started in the role, we were a team of, of five designers and we've now built that out to the team of, of 21 and I think we've seen the, the product evolve as well through those seven years to kind of where we are now. When I first started, we, we had really one main product, but we're after evolving that out to a complete product suite that we have now. So I definitely think that's been challenging, but at the same time, it's been massively rewarding for me. Also, in being able to build a team out and actually see the product come a long way in the last seven years as we've grown the business. So talk to me about what originally drew you to product design. I think, like I said, definitely my, my background was engineering, but I've always, always had an interest in design. Even when I was in college, I was kind of on this, trying to identify like whether I want to move into the design front or whether I want to continue on engineering. So when I left college, I definitely moved more into, into design. But I think the biggest thing that drove me towards it was the fact that you get to create something that's really tangible, that people can see, that they can interact with. And you can see the results of that, whether it's true conversions, whether it's true product usage, whether it's true user engagement. 
I think that probably for me definitely stood out as been the most rewarding thing. The fact that you can take something from a concept or ideation right through to a whole product life cycle, release it, and then see people interact and use the product. I think for me, that's, that's massively rewarding. Yeah, that is powerful. So what drew you to work human and what are you solving there now? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think from an employee perspective, when I went to WorkHuman initially, it was definitely the culture, I think, was one of the biggest things that drew me to WorkHuman. It definitely wasn't like a place I've experienced before, even through like the initial interview stages. They really kind of, you know, focus on what they preach in relation to employee engagement, positivity, creating a workplace where kind of people can be themselves and bring their whole selves to work. So that was massively but rewarding and important from my perspective. Uh, but then as well, I think the product drew me there as well, because you know there's not many companies, if any, that do what we do at the scale that we do it across a, cl- a global range. So I think the product itself and getting to create something and work on something that directly impacts the lives of millions of people in, in the workplace across the world is something that is, was hugely beneficial and, and important when I considered the role. And, and talk to me about the challenges there now. What's the big problems you're solving? Yeah, I mean, we, there's lots of different challenges that we're facing at the moment. I suppose one of the biggest things that we're looking at is, you know, the software company has been around for about 20 years now. So we have a lot of legacy styles and a lot of legacy stuff within the product. It's a large SaaS platform. So one of the things that we're looking at at the moment is trying to define and bring in a new design system. So not only from how does it look, but also the technology. So looking at the likes of React, for example, you know, obviously the front-end framework that we're looking at to maybe introduce into our product. But given the scale of the product and given the number of products that we have, that's quite a big task to do, to try and understand how you, first of all, conceive maybe what the new style and design language is, and then how you create that in a reusable component way, and then roll that out strategically across the whole product. I think for, from my perspective, that's definitely one of the biggest challenges that, that we're facing in the team at the moment. Now, can you give our listeners a sense of scale, number of products, how big WorkHuman is, how many customers or revenue or whatever is appropriate for you to share? Yeah, I mean, we have around uh, five or six individual products and we have in the region of nearly 300 enterprise customers and that ranges to nearly 5 million uh, users on the platform. Okay. So a single customer could have 5 million users on the platform. Yeah. Single customer, um, specifically like some of our clients would be the likes of GE, LinkedIn, Symantec, Cisco, but you know, some clients can range anywhere from, you know, 10,000 employees to 350,000 employees. Awesome. Awesome. And how big is WorkHuman? How many employees are there? We have, uh, I think, just touching on over 600 employees, and we're, we're kind of co-headquartered at the moment uh, between Dublin and uh, Boston. So in Dublin, we, we mainly have, uh, that's our hub for technology. We have a lot of technology in, in Dublin where the, the product gets created. Uh, and then in Boston, we have a lot of the sales and marketing um, guys that actually sit over in, in that side. Cool. So you're, you're in a unique position there, right? WorkHuman 600-person company has a VP of product design, which is you. I mean, not many companies of kind of that size give product design a seat at, at the vice president's table, so to speak, that executive table. Talk to us about the process of getting that job and also about, you know, why WorkHuman puts that much importance on design. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really good question. Like I said, I suppose I joined WorkHuman seven years ago and I started as a team lead. And as I said, we had a very small design team at the time. 
And since then, I progressed into roles where I've taken on a role as design manager and then progressed into director of design. All throughout that time, obviously, I was scaling and I was growing the team at the time. But I think what's really important in relation to moving into that kind of executive level role and getting to the point where we can have a VP design within work human is really around showing the value of design and what that can bring to the product. And that's not something that generally can happen overnight. It, it takes a long time to embed that thinking and that mindset uh, inside any organization. And I think there's a level of maturity there that you get to show as you begin to demonstrate how design brings value into, in, into the organization. So whether it's shown the impact of something that maybe we've worked on as a team or showing a vision or a direction for how the product can grow maybe in one year, two years down the time. But I think as well, having a voice within design, and actually being able to you know, demonstrate that to key stakeholders in the business is massively important. I mean, it's one thing having a seat at the table, but it's a different thing having a voice and I think, you know, our, our CEO, Eric Mosley, is, you know, he values design greatly. He sees the importance of it. He sees it as a differentiator within the market. So it's massively important from our perspective that we're delivering on that and delivering on, on his vision for where he wants to see the product grow. Now, how big is the design team now? Uh, we have 21 designers in total, and it's kind of spanned over three distinct areas. So we have obviously our UX and UI designers that are embedded inside the Agile Scrum teams. Then we have three researchers that basically manage and coordinate all of the user research that happens across the entire design team. And then we have a team of six branding designers then who actually work more directly with our clients in relation to reskinning and redesigning the white label products to reflect their own uh, brands. So you talked a lot about, you know, the importance showing the value, right, of design. And that's how you have established the value of having a large design group, a relatively large design group, and, and an executive presence from design. How do you go about that? How do you evangelize the importance of product design within your organization? And what advice would you give to other PMs out there who are trying to raise the importance of design in, in some organizations that maybe don't value it that highly? Yeah, I think, um, you know, shouting about design is definitely one thing, you know, in a good way. And that's about demonstrating what you're doing as a design team and showing the projects that you're working on and the potential value that's bringing. But definitely, we've done a number of different things within the organization that's helped grow the value of design. For example, we facilitated even just last year a thing that we call the Human UX Hackathon. And this was all about encouraging the whole company, not just products, engineering or design, but even customer success, finance, to come together and actually think of ways that we can introduce moments of surprise and delight into a product. So these little moments of maybe micro interactions or things that make you smile. So we, we created a number of different squads within the company and each squad was led by a product designer. And we basically down tools for the whole day and all the squads came up with lots of different ways in terms of how they could do this or introduce this into the product. And it was kind of done in a, in a design sprint style way where, you know, the, the squads first looked at ideation, they done crazy eights, they done storyboarding, and then they reflected them then in actual work and prototypes where they got to present their ideas back to the executive team. And then the winning team then got, got a nice prize. So that's kind of one example in terms of elevating what designers are doing in the company and also letting other people into the creative process. You know, when we carried out a survey after we ran the hackathon, one of the biggest things that came back from it was the fact that people felt like they had, you know, decision-making power. They felt like they had influence in the creative process. 
And that was not only rewarding for us, but great for design within the company. Now, is that something you think you'll, you'll do regularly? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we're definitely going to have another Human UX hackathon this year, and we'll probably have a different team around it. But actually, in, in another three weeks, we're actually going to run a Work Human Usability Day. We're actually going to show the value of usability and the importance of accessible design, which is something that we're actually going to be focused on uh, this year within our products. So it's really exciting to do that. And again, that's that's a company-wide initiative between our Dublin and our Boston office. I mean, that that's pretty awesome. Talk to me about how you're implementing that. Yeah, so it's basically, it's going to be a really visceral uh, type experience. So it's going to be a whole day. We're going to take over a number of different meeting rooms within the company, and we're going to transform them into different experiences. So we're going to have one room which is geared around understanding and showing people the value of good design and what looks like what bad design looks like. Then we're going to have another room where we're going to help people understand or put people in other people's shoes who might have visual impairments, for example. So understand what it's like to use keyboard navigation only, understand what it's like to use a screen reader or maybe a Braille keyboard. And then the third room will be in relation to conducting usability tests on some of the products that we're actually working on. So it's a whole range of different experiences that we're looking to pull together. And in addition, we're, we're bringing in a panel of some speakers as well, where we can interview them and ask them about their experiences within the industry as well, and um, who are actually you know, close enough to accessibility within technology. Cool. That sounds like that should be uh, very enlightening. You're the first person I, I've talked to that's uh, on the design time that's talked about that kind of idea. I love it. Yeah, it, it's great. Uh, I'm not going to take all the credit for it. The guys on the team... Um, they're running with this themselves and in particular uh, Julie and, and Stewie on the design team are doing a fantastic job of that, you know? So there was something that the, the team are really passionate about and they're working quite hard to, to pull all this together for uh, February the 20th when it's on. So it's good. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. So we've talked about a few things that, that help raise the visibility and design in an organization, right? Any other advice you'd have to give to product designers? You know, the people that want that seat at the executive table, that voice at the executive table? I think probably from my own experience, and I, and I tell this to a lot of people, I think number one key thing from my perspective is, is relationship building. It's building and putting in the groundwork to build relationships with other people in the organization. You know, obviously not just within the design team, but people in product, people in engineering, people in architecture and, and so on. And I think it's understanding how those other departments work as well and been able to effectively communicate to them and allow them to see how design can actually benefit, you know, what they're trying to do. And again, just building the relationships with them. I think that's massively important. I think it's overlooked a lot of the time. Great. Now you touched on something that's a good segue into this topic, which is, you know, communication. So how do you get product design, product management, engineering, all working together to to kind of build that amazing product that users love? Talk to me about that cross-functional alignment. Yeah, well, I mean, definitely within WorkHuman, I'm in a quite a lucky position. You know, the, the VP team that we have are incredibly talented and we all have a shared vision. So even looking from an engineering perspective, you know, Ronan, you know, he's all about lean, fast delivery, building world-class teams. We've Mark in architecture who's really open to new ways of working. So, you know, and understanding that you know, what we've built in the past might not necessarily get us to the next level. So what do we need to rethink and, and approach from a new angle? And then even Jim, from a product perspective, you know, he's our VP of product and he has an experimentation mindset and trying to understand the value of what we're trying to, to, to bring to each of the features that we release. 
you know, all of that it ties beautifully into what product design are trying to do. You know, move in a lean way, understand the value from, from the user perspective, understand the value from the business perspective, and actually try and create new ways of working that are not necessarily bound to the ways of the past. So I, I definitely think having a team in place that are all, all have a shared vision makes it such an easier, you know, conversation to have, especially when you're coming with new ideas or, or new visions for where you see the product evolve. So one of the things that that often comes up when I talk to design is this concept of design thinking, right? And, and we touched on some of those concepts a little bit and some of the topics we covered before. How do you t- first maybe help our users understand a little bit more about design thinking and then help our listeners think about how they can apply that to product management a little bit? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the best place to start really is well, one of the ways in which we've approached design thinking within WorkHuman is to build our own framework around how we see it integrating into WorkHuman. Now, all companies have maybe slightly different ways of maybe doing agile or ways in which they might do design sprints. And they, you know, they leverage the basic foundation. But when it comes to reality, implementing that into your own organization can be wildly different depending on the processes and the workflows that you have in place. So we've built what we call our human UX framework. And it's really geared around being able to easily communicate to product and engineering around what the proper or correct process might be for carrying out a project. And that's right from the start to understanding maybe what the business goals are, what we're trying to achieve with this, all the way through to ideation, all the way through to prototyping, doing new um, user research and usability testing on what we're creating, and then releasing that straight into building high-fidelity visual work that then goes into a development team for implementation. So we've put this framework in place. And through the framework, we've a number of kind of key steps to make sure that you know what we've released is going to be of good quality. For example, one of those is our design QA process. So we have a specific process within our um, design and engineering sprint where the designer will sit down and ensure that the work that's been created, you know, adheres to our design principles, adheres to our design guidelines, that it represents what's been designed. And then once that's passed, then that goes into basically approved then to be released into the product. So there's a number of different things that we've done around that. And I think putting the framework in place has been massively beneficial to allow us to communicate what design thinking is uh, within WorkHuman. Now, how does this process fit in with like customer feedback? Does your team conduct customer interviews? Yeah, so we have a number of different ways in terms of how we conduct user research. Um, For example, we run usability studies within the WorkHuman office. So we might maybe get participants who are around the business area into interact with prototypes. But we also conduct interviews with people or, or users rather who are remote. So a lot of our clients will be in the United States. So we might set up a Zoom meeting, uh, send an external link to a prototype, or else even conduct a usability interview, for example. And all that's done remotely. And then the, the research team that we have within product design will synthesize the results and then present those findings back to the appropriate product team and the product design team as well. Sounds like a good solid process. So talk to me too about like what qualities make a good product designer. Take me back to that step. Like what do you look for in a designer? Yeah, so the, the, again that's a it's, it's an interesting question. You know, so we've definitely seen in organizations where UX and UI can be actually separated, you know, so you have a separate UX team, you have a separate UI team. But within WorkHuman, we we try and hire all-rounded product designer. So somebody who has experience in research is good on the UX front and is good on the UI front. But what we generally try and look for is somebody who can go deep in one of those three disciplines. 
So, you know, we'll definitely look at people who have a research background and a UX background, but they could be absolute masters in UI. And that has a huge importance from a skill set perspective into maybe a different product that we're working on. Some products maybe lean towards more on the UI front and some maybe more on the UX. So definitely someone who's all-rounded is what we is what we look for. But also I think what's massively important is positivity. I think people who can face challenges with optimism, because let's face it, you know, within product design and within engineering and agile, there's lots of challenges, lots of issues and problems you potentially come up against. But I think being able to face them in a positive way is something that I definitely look for within my team when I'm hiring. And I think from, from another perspective is I think the individuals have to be comfortable forming relationships with product management and front-end developers. You know, designers are going to work very, very closely with front-end development. So it's important that you know, somebody can join the team and easily build on the relationships and understand what it's like to work with a front-end developer. So what's the interview process look like if you wanted to be a designer at WorkHuman? Yeah, so generally what we do is, um, you know, there's an initial kickoff call where we just get to chat to the individual and see, you know, what they're actually looking to get out of next role, which is good. It's just an informal chat. Then generally we'll ask them on site into the WorkHuman offices where they'll meet a number of different people. So they'll meet myself, they might meet another product design manager, might meet somebody from the product management side as well. And typically, we might give them some form of an assessment or, or a little kind of a task to do. And that's really more just to see their thought process. It's just to see how they think about a challenge and think about design. And then lastly, they will be invited in them for maybe a last round interview. And that's maybe to meet some other members of the team and just get a feel for, for the work environment. I think what's important from my perspective is to make sure that this is something that's going to be the right move for that candidate as well not only from our perspective, but to make sure that it's, it's going to work in both ways and we can see the person, you know, see that they're going to easily gel into the team. So what's a typical, you know, little activity you have them do? And for example, it might be some kind of creative challenge where we'll give them a scenario related to a part of our product or it could be a completely different product. And we might ask them to sketch out or think about how they would approach that if they were in that scenario. So the types of things that we might be looking for is, do they understand the design process or do they jump straight into maybe, you know, creating a visual design or straight into UI where they could be asking specific questions. So what we tend to find with a lot of really good candidates is they'll step back from the problem that we're giving them. They'll start to ask lots of different questions and then they'll really think about the design process from the start all the way through to, you know, before they release it into a scrum team for development. So it's kind of the end-to-end process that we're looking to understand and, and see how much of it they know and how much of it they're actually comfortable with. So that, that thought process, that approach to a problem is more important than, say, you know, their design skills to some, to some part, I guess. Well, generally, when we're assessing designers, they'll have a portfolio. So we'll, we'll be able to make some form of assessment in relation to the design skills from their past work that they've done. And the same can be said for their thought process, but that depends on the portfolio. You know, some portfolios don't go into that much detail where other candidates, you know, give a whole case study in relation to a problem that they solve, which is great. But I think putting them in a scenario where we really get to, you know, understand how they think as designers is, is massively important. But like you said, the portfolio is is really important to understanding how good their design work is from previous projects. Got it, got it. So it's a combination of those two things as you'd expect, right? But Absolutely. there's a there's a huge importance on thought process, not just their their portfolio then it seems. Yeah, 100%. So talk to me about trends you see coming up in product and design. Yeah, I suppose um 
there's probably two trends from from my perspective that jump out. One is in relation to actually design roles themselves, and and that's what we see in relation to a role around design ops. And this is a role we're starting to see come to fruition more. And it's something that we're actually going to hire into the team this year. And it's really around you know the optimization of people processes to sort of streamline the design team to allow the design team to scale. So somebody coming into a design ops role would would assist with hiring. They would assist with creating workflows that were efficient for the designers. They would look at managing our community of practice and how we interact and meet as a team. And then also helping to demonstrate the impact of the work that we have on the team. So I think because we've scaled so big as a team, I think bringing somebody into that role is going to be massively beneficial to allow us to get to the next level. Because I want the designers to focus on designing and researching and then somebody to come in to assist with them and assist with the scale and growth of the team. I suppose the, the second kind of um, trend that I, I see is probably around device agnostic experiences. So really around this idea that an experience can transcend multiple devices, you know, from a laptop to a smartphone to a speaker. You know, and a really good example of that is what we see with what Amazon are doing with the Echo. You know, you can order something on Amazon, you, you go home to your house and has a little notification to tell you that your, your order is shipped or it's on its way. But I've may, I may have already put that order, you know, previously in the morning in work. And as I get home, the whole experience just transcends the whole day. So that's definitely something that I'm starting to see more of within the industry. Interesting. So I'm kind of curious, you were talking about teams and now this role of design ops, which I think is really cool. We've seen this role in, in product management emerging with product ops. What does a team look like in work team? And as far as, you know, those cross-functional teams, like how many product managers to designers to engineers, do you guys stick to specific ratios there? Generally within a product development team, you would have one product manager, you'd have a product strategist, you would have maybe one or two front-end engineers, QA engineer, and obviously maybe one or two or three back-end engineers, and then one designer. So it's typically you know one designer per product team. Having said that, as we've grown as a business and as we started to scale our solutions, we've seen the need to bring additional designers onto some of the product teams. So even with the recruitment headcount that we have this year, we will be hiring in additional designers to sit with current designers on already established product areas. Hmm, interesting. Cool. Well, we're at that time where, it's, where I'd love to learn a little bit more about you. So first, I'd love to step back a little and dig into some of your experience because it is, it's, it is really interesting how kind of you've evolved into the, your current role, right? Take me through, you know, the different activities you had early on and what you learned from them. I'm, I'm excited to hear about your time with Microsoft, your time making music videos. Talk to me about your, what your big takeaways were from some of those past experiences and, and how you have applied those to your philosophy as a design leader? Yeah, I think probably one of the blindingly obvious or revelation things from my perspective is when I was actually in a small, really small company in Ireland where I was designing um, electronic point-of-sale systems. And uh, as boring as it sounds, it was actually an interesting experience because I was effectively designing the interface for how somebody was going to interact you know, with a, with a till system in a restaurant or a really busy bar. And I made a number of decisions and a number of different things within that experience that, you know, didn't go down too well within when people were actually starting to use it. So I think that, from my perspective, was probably the biggest kind of sucker punch I could have got in relation to the impact the design has on somebody trying to do their job. Um, and that was kind of a revelation for me in relation to what this whole idea around product design and, and user experience was. And I think from that perspective onwards, it had a profound impact in terms of how I taught about design and the importance of it as, as people go about their day-to-day work. 
the experience uh, working with Microsoft was really exciting. And this was really as, you know, the smart TVs were starting to come into to market. You know, we were commissioned to look at designing a, an application for, for the Xbox around music videos. So it was a music video company, very similar to Vivo, I think, in the States, to start to look at ways in which they could show their catalog on smart TV devices and Xbox applications. And that, from my perspective, again, was something that was really good experience designing something that was going to be used at, at scale. I think that was my first experience to something that was going to go to millions and millions of users. So I think it was around the level of, you know, quality and, and, and understanding that you had to have and everything checked before you release a product. And that was good experience from that perspective. Awesome. One question I always ask is, uh, what's your favorite product? Oh, my favorite product. I, I suppose it's probably across me Spotify, I think is probably, I mean, everyone probably says that, but realistically, it's probably one of the only products I, I use every single day. And again, we were talking about, you know, this device agnostic experience. So like whether I'm playing a song in the house and I leave the house to get in the car to go over and get some milk in the shop, my song continues in the car. I mean, that's just beautiful. And then if I, as I go to work, I'm still listening to the same album or whatever the case is. So I think from my perspective, that's probably one of my favorite products. But I also could say from a physical perspective, the Amazon Echo, because I have three of them in the house attached to about 600 Philips Hue light bulbs. Um, so <laughs> it's either probably Spotify or, or the Echo, I would say. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I've heard Spotify quite a few times, just the, the elegance of the interface, how they do, you know, listening to music really well and that, that one job really well. Here, Alexa, a good time. And it was one of my favorite products too, though. Now I'm getting these notifications where they try to sell me stuff, which is... Uh, Drive me a little nuts. <laughs> so I have to figure out how to take, turn those off. It was like, we got one for shampoo yesterday. My wife's like, I have enough shampoo for six months and they're trying to give us more. So uh, <laughs> you must be talking about shampoo in the house. That's what they're picking up. Yeah, yeah, evidently. But uh, it's, it's interesting, this juxtaposition or this, you know, push and pull. When you think about products like the Alexa, who has a very specific purpose and you work their way into your life. And then at the same time, there's Amazon, who in some regards, I'm sure, is trying to get you to buy more product, right? And how that those two conflicting notions in some ways are applied to the product. And I feel like in the long term, are we going to get a compromise in the Echo product because of this desire for Amazon to push more product you know, through this and use this as a channel for more you know, re- or e-commerce sales? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It, what we're kind of talking about there is really the balance of friction. You know, it's it's how much friction can you introduce into a product before users actually start to get really annoyed and actually start to has a, have a detrimental impact on the end user experience. I mean, I even experienced this with Instagram stories, you know, as I'm going through stories, it's, it almost feels like every second or third story, there's some ad or something that they're trying to put in my face when I'm, I'm really just trying to, trying to get through stories. So I think companies are definitely playing with this sort of friction and they're trying to find what the sweet spot is. And I think they're doing that through a lot of experimentation. So when you think of A-B testing and, and tools like that, they're trying to hit that absolute max threshold relation. What's the most friction they can introduce from a product marketing perspective before users actually start to abandon? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's really interesting from a design perspective, right? When you're designing that product, do you get to that? Do you want to keep them on that threshold of, you know, 80% of our customers will stay or 90 or what? what's the percentage but you're still calling is causing all those customers some, uh, you know, pain's a strong word, but, you know, that's a good way to reference it, right? 
Yeah, we, we had this challenge when I was working for uh, the music video company Muzu at the time, because obviously people just want to play music videos and they just want to listen to the music. They, they don't want to be hit with ads. You know, we, we've seen YouTube handle this with the sort of five second skip, which kind of you know works really well. But that's five seconds is still a long time when you're trying to watch a video and you can kind of feel that friction. And we experiment with different ways around how could we, you know, when you were transitioning from one song or one video to the next, how could we display an ad but at the same time still allow the video to play now this would have been a visual ad not not an ad from a video perspective so there's lots of different ways in which we had to experiment and, and see if we could do something that would allow the music to keep going allow the video to keep showing but at the same time allow the product or the brand to be able to to advertise what they were selling uh, which yeah, is always i was gonna say that's definitely an interesting problem right you can see that the experience gets marred in some ways if you have ads in the middle of a video. It's easy to see like a, a pre-roll, so to speak, right? An ad at the beginning. Uh, it's easy to see like the ads at the end, maybe before you start another video. But putting something in the middle of the process affects the product itself, right? Yeah. And I mean, even, I mean, even I think it was eight or nine years ago when I was actually working there. And at the time, they were experimenting with technology around you know, say, for example, you've seen something in the music video and you could actually interact with it. Say, for example, I don't know, it was a mobile phone that maybe a rapper was using or some singer or something. You could click on it and actually bring it into an experience that you could actually buy that phone, find out more about it. And that was like, that was eight or nine years ago. And they were even starting to think about that as, a, as an immersive way to start thinking about how you sell products within the sort of video experience. Yeah, I like that, the immersive experience. I feel like we, we started to dabble in that, but it hasn't really gotten that far yet. Would you agree with that? And, yeah, and if I, so, what's holding yeah. it back? I, I'm not sure, to be honest. But as I said, like when we dabbled with that eight years ago, what I would have expected to be a bit more, I suppose, uh, realized by now. But I, I'm of the same opinion. I still think we've yet to see that come to full fruition. Yeah. And maybe it's just like the getting people out of the flow, right? Like when they're watching the video, they don't want to interact with, you know, product advertisements, but maybe it's like, you know, it's obviously subconsciously affected them in some ways, right? So maybe it's a matter of, you know, then using that as a retargeting opportunity, right? Where they've seen this iPhone, where they've seen this product, this whatever it happens to be, where you can retarget them through other mediums too. That would be kind of interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's back to our kind of friction point. It's, you know, if I want to sit back and watch a YouTube video about whatever, you know, how interested am I going to be on, you know, discovering the video, clicking different areas, finding out more about what as a, you know, a subconscious, you know, message or a subconscious product that they're trying to, trying to upsell within that video. And what kind of conversion would you get on that? You know, maybe they haven't found a sweet spot around that or so, you know, there's lots, I think, in that area to be explored, but it's, it's definitely interesting. Cool, cool. Well, thanks for your time today, Gerard. I got one final question for you. Three words to describe yourself. Oh, three words. I think, uh, okay, empathic, positive, and uh, determined, I would say. Awesome. Well, thank you again. I appreciate your time. This was a lot of fun. Thanks very much, Eric. This has been Product Love. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Check out the rest of our articles and interviews on productcraft.com an online magazine by and for product people.